Assalamu alaikum welcome to new wave global i'm rabia mahmood today we are here in front of you with very very urgent and uh, heartbreaking stories as always as you know we are always focusing on human rights crises and social justice concerns in the world like, just like everyone else are uh, we are also looking at the humanitarian crisis but the brutality which has been waged upon the people of palestine and gaza as we know that gaza has been or gaza strip or gaza has been in under occupation and palestine has been under occupation but gaza specifically has been in siege and blockade for over a decade palestinian people have been living under the system of colonialism and what the international framework human rights organization and the un has called it that it's a system of apartheid and crimes against humanity have been uh, committed there and at the moment war crimes are being committed there it's been over 10 days of brutal carpet bombing of gaza as we know and there have been killings of minors and teenagers even in the west bank which is outside gaza so uh, recently we've seen that a hospital was bombed and now there has been some disinformation and propaganda doing the rounds across the world which has started from the israeli government that this wasn't something that they did uh an initial investigation of human rights organizations doesn't do not agree with the israeli point of view although yes in an ideal situation none of this would be happening or there will be an international investigation to look into this we have seen that at least 500 people have been dead that's the claim of the ministry of health in gaza in that hospital which was an anglican church's hospital then before that more than 1000 children and about 3000 palestinians Palestinians in Gaza who were refugees you know most of the people who were living in Gaza were refugees or displaced people have been killed already and since that attack two days back there has been like there have been so many attacks or bombings on more residential areas in Gaza and we were just looking at verified videos from journalists and uh, content producers on the ground of babies lying down on gurneys in hospital and you know one heart-wrenching image after another is coming out of that area we've seen a live shooting of a uh, of a teenager in West Bank which takes the death toll of teenagers or minors in west bank to 7 or above so all of this is happening in the uh, in the middle east and there have been powerful protests in across the region and protests elsewhere in the world and we are also looking at how the right to free assembly is being violated quite violently in the western or the free world as well berlin frankfurt arrests in london arrests in new york city arrests in washington dc where the left uh, groups and progressive groups from various religions including the jewish community are protesting and calling for a ceasefire and in today we've seen that Un- united nations security council there was a re- resolution tabled by re- drafted and tabled by brazil it has been vetoed by the united states two states abstained including the uk and one the uk and russia us vetoed it and other members of unsc 
uh, were for it. So we're here with the chairperson of Human Rights Commission of Pakistan, um, Madam Hina Jilani, who is also an international human rights law expert and has been part of fact-finding mission to Gaza in 2009, which was set up by the United Nations, which resulted in a very uh, detailed report um, uh, on the situation of people there and human rights abuses. Hinaji, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, after this long uh, introduction for our viewers, we are repeatedly seeing calls for ceasefire, but powerful countries not paying attention to it and also only taking the side of this one country which is bombing people and civilians, carpet bombing to be exact, lots of propaganda in the news, severe disinformation and despite all the calls by international human rights organization and the United Nations, we can't seem to see any compliance. Yes, Rabia, yeah, it's very regretful that when you see the kind of conflict that now recently has uh, occurred uh, between Israel and, and uh, Hamas, one is not looking at uh, what one would expect a good, wise leadership at the global level to, re uh, uh, to do as a reaction to this. Uh, and uh, I'm really distressed, not just the word regret is, I think, too, too um, um, weak for the kind of feelings that we have. We, people like me are really distressed. We feel that today, the kind of response that this particular um, um, conflict is getting from the world at large is on the one hand, um, a kind of response that you would think comes from a very weak international system. An international system, like you very rightly said, has become unable to deliver peace. Nobody's talking about peace. Whereas the Western countries, including the US and Europe, are giving unconditional support to the brutality that uh, Israel is uh, perpetrating on Gaza at this time. And on the other hand, you see that those who are expressing concern with regard to the lives of Palestinian people in Gaza, that is not sufficient to bring peace for those who have suffered occupation for decades now. And with this occupation, they have suffered practices of the occupation that amount to severe human rights violations. Most of the uh, fact findings that have been done with regard to the human rights situation have found Israel guilty, or there have been very strong indications that the actions that Israel has taken whether it is with respect to armed invasions and assaults on Gaza or general treatment of the people of the West Bank and of Gaza, they have amounted to crimes against humanity. In times of war, and if you remember, the conflict that occurred in 2009, it was named caste-led conflict in which Israel had attacked Gaza 
where we had found not just crimes against humanity, but war crimes were committed by Israel. Now, I'm not denying the fact that I am equally worried and concerned with regard to the actions of Hamas. We, and this, this concern is not just limited to the present conflict. I have always felt that Hamas disregards the security of its own people in Gaza. And so, but that, that I think, if you compare it to what Israel is being doing in this conflict, I can say very categorically that all that I have experienced in the past many years of watching how Israel reacts to any, um, 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 you know, any actions of Hamas that they call terrorism, Israel has a history of reacting in a disproportionately severe manner. Setting aside any respect for international law, be that international humanitarian law or the laws of war. Human rights is not a concern that Israel has ever kept in mind with respect to the people of Palestine. I have equal concern for lives that are lost on the other side in Israel. But at the same time, let us not be hypocritical and let us not mince our words when we say that Israel's actions against Gaza have not only been against international law, they have been disproportionate to any action that the Hamas or anyone has ever been taking against them. They are a, they are a force of occupation. They have never respected the responsibilities that an occupational force has in the, under international law. This is the 21st century. Their control and grip on every breath that the people in the West Bank or Gaza take is anachronistic. And the international community needs to realize that. This is a protracted contract, a conflict. It is a protracted situation that has kept thousands of people in a situation which would be unacceptable in any human and civilized world. So I do believe that this is a time to be worried. It is a time for the international community to think about the multilateral system and its ability to deliver justice and to deliver peace. Israel is one of those nations that de deserves to be called a rogue nation because it has never respected UN resolutions, which have been passed historically. More recently, you have seen that some of these superpowers play their games with the lives of people. And, and, and they speak about global peace, they speak about security, but they have not done what they should have done in order to bring peace, not just in the region that we are experiencing, we are looking at conflict right now, but in the, in the world uh, at large. I think that this is, in more recent years, we have seen a failure, a, a, a regrettable failure of leadership. I think Joe Biden, I really think that uh, I question his wisdom, first of all. And then I also question his credentials as a world leader. 
when I look at the kind of statements that he is making. And I think the Americans and the other countries in the West need to understand that their views have to be balanced. They have to understand that when they speak about human rights, international humanitarian law and international human rights law, then they have to respect it for others as well. They don't have a primacy or, or not their citizens have a primacy on the, the respect of their human rights. So I think this is very important for us to understand. We also must uh, uh, acknowledge that the people in Gaza are have been victims of a long, long siege and blockade for a long, long time. Even in 2009, we as the fact-finding mission had called this a crime against humanity. It is a violation of international law. And today, right-thinking people everywhere in the world, whether it is the West or the East or the South or the North, they are speaking out. So I'm not saying that the division of polarization is North-South polarization or East-West polarization. It is a polarization that is depending on who are those who want to promote democracy, rule of law, and peace in the world, and those who would shut their eye and turn their face away from injustice and support the, the perpetrators rather than have sympathy for the victims. True, true. And, and Hinaji, there's uh, beyond the divide. Yes, people are speaking everywhere, but there is so much censorship around this. And we are seeing that there have been right wing is targeting academics in the UK and the US and the governments are issuing very dubious statements, which are basically enabling what uh, commentators and the Palestinian intellectual uh, intellectuals themselves and writers and activists are calling like enabling of a genocide, right? And that they are, um, and experts of Holocaust have said that this is textbook case of genocide as to what is happening in um, in uh, Gaza at the moment. And uh, and and like you're saying, the civilian lives are important on either side of the divide, but. The, uh, the stifling of dissent around it is re really worrying because people's support of Palestine is being likened to, to support of Hamas, which is, according to the Palestinian people themselves across the board, not just in Gaza, is a manifestation of resistance to occupation, right? It's a, it's a response to that. So, um, and that has to be uh, taken uh, into consideration as well. Speaking of uh, rights violations and uh, states responsibilities, we are going to go to come to Pakistan. And uh, we, as we know that the caretaker government, the interim government setup announced that it's going to forcibly repatriate and return Afghan refugees and asylum seekers who are one of the most at-risk group in the world at the moment as people. And in Pakistan, they were already subjected to abuses. There is like those who have been here for decades don't have a um, sort of a process through which or a pathway through which they could be citizens considering that they have been here. That's all they know. Pakistan is all they know. You, as we know, millions came to Pakistan and people are unable to return to uh, Afghanistan because of the security situation. People have been in the recent past being detained in Karachi and elsewhere, kept under really gruesome conditions in prisons. 
And now the government has announced that they're going to be repatriated by November 1st. What do you have to say about that? Look, at the very outset, I must state that we as the Human Rights Commission of Pakistan or human rights community at large in Pakistan, we are not unaware of the challenges that Pakistan has faced, both socially as well as politically, because of this influx of population into Pakistan. And every country in the world faces these kind of problems. This is not the only country where people on the movement have sought to sought refuge. Now, we also have security challenges. We are also aware of that. We are neither ill-informed people, nor are we bleeding hearts. We know that people have concerns. Local populations have concerns of economic competitions, sharing of resources. We also know that people have demographic concerns in this country because the influx, especially of the Afghan refugees. We also know that every sovereign country has the right to safeguard its borders and to make proper arrangements for dealing with pe people who seek uh, uh, entry into their countries. Now, having said that, I would like to say very clearly that Pakistan has been the um, maker of this mess itself as a state because Pakistan is neither a party to the 1951 Refugee Convention, nor does it have any domestic laws with, to deal with economic migrants or refugees or asylum seekers. This lack of any domestic legislation has compelled the country, which has been host to several million uh, refugees over the past 40 decades, to deal with the subject by through, through uh, uh, ad hoc agreements, for instance, with the UNHCR, when we had an influx of refugees who we invited uh, and created a situation in which we were very happy to have this influx of refugees in the 1980s. And then through MOUs, but it has deliberately uh, uh, avoided legislation so that a proper system of assessing protection needs of giving status to people according to the the nature of their uh, entry and the nature of the of their protection needs this is something that the state of pakistan has done itself now in the last uh, 18 19 days this caretaker government which has no mandate and no authority to take decisions which have such a deep impact on Pakistan's in, uh, uh, internal uh, situation of security or on the uh, international relations uh, uh, that, uh, the, and, and so it should not have taken this. And then again, the major issue is that this is an irrational decision. How can a population that has been here for years and years, like you just said, be expelled and this kind of a humanitarian situation be created by a state through irrational, unreasonable, unauthorized and unlawful decisions. Secondly, the decision is like, you know, a, a, something where you say one hat fits all. 
there are so many categories, for instance, of the Afghan refugees in Pakistan, and there may be other nationalities also. There are asylum seekers who should be governed by the principle of refoulement, which means going back to the country from which they have fled is dangerous for them. There are people who have been born in this country. So the citizenship rules and uh, 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 laws come into, come into play here. There are families who have been conducting business here. You give them just um, 30 days to wind up their businesses and go away. So I think that the people who are probably uh, uh, not based on facts, but there are people who are attributing malicious and malafide uh, motives to the government of Pakistan in taking this kind of a decision. Some are saying that they want more money uh, since money is not coming in for these refugees, so they want to drive them out. Now, I don't believe that this is uh, true, but at the same time, I do not believe that this is just a security issue. Pakistan needs to learn not to look at everything from the security lens. This is primarily a humanitarian issue. There must be a needs-based assessment. You must, they must have, they must have a system to first categorize the kind of people whom they are trying to expel. What is the nature of their stay? Make sure that where they feel that there is an illegality and they need to deport those people, well, yes, they, there are uh, uh, examples all over the world where illegal uh, uh, entrants into any country are deported. But those deportations have to be minimized keeping in view the humanitarian needs of the people, keeping in view the international law, which makes sure that those who are at risk in their countries should never be forced to return. Uh, um, informed consent is not there. I mean, there are three things that essentially should be there. Voluntary, the, the return must be voluntary. It should be with informed consent and that the resettlement and reintegration in the country um, of origin should be uh, at a time when that country is at, is at peace. Look at the situation of women. There is gender apartheid in Afghanistan at the moment. If you look at the current situation, the terrible earthquake and the devastation there, the coming of winter, are not the right times and appropriate times for this kind of an exodus from Pakistan. So Pakistan should uh, rethink that decision, must stall the uh, uh, law enforcement from, from creating a humanitarian situation and uh, compel an exodus from Pakistan that will hurt both Pakistan and the situation in Afghanistan is likely to become worse. Then look at the situation. People who have been here for 30 years have to wind up their businesses. Mm -hmm. Children are going to school. This is in the middle of the school year. You are uprooting them. So the social economic aspects of what this decision entails has totally escaped those who are making these decisions. And foremost, for, uh, the most primary thing in my mind is who is this caretaker government to make this decision? If they have the intention to have elections in Pakistan, 
at the end of January? What What is to stop them from waiting for three months for a parliament to come into existence? True. So in these, in these circumstances, I look at with suspicion at this situation, at this the decision that this government has taken. And I also believe that it's not just this government. This decision has been uh, compelled by uh, the pressure or uh, uh, has actually, uh, um, I think, emanated from, again, a policy that the defense and the security apparatus in this country has taken. Mm -hmm. So, And this is not a decision that can be taken in this way. As I said, it's not a question of just security in Pakistan. That the security issues are secondary to the vast humanitarian issues that this this particular decision is creating. So what I'm saying is, I will never look at this decision as a decision that is well thought out, and there may be elements of some unsavory interests uh, uh, because. Uh, this is, you know, the caretakers. Uh, the caretakers are either quite sure that they're there for a long time, and there is no prospect of a new parliament coming in, and which is again an, an internal issue and a domestic issue, which is which is linked to this decision and exposes perhaps their intentions for the future. Thank you so much for speaking to us and, you know, speaking to us about your time in Gaza and uh, reflecting upon that, uh, you know, the crimes against humanity and war crimes by Israel uh, against people of Palestine and the unlawful, irrational decision by Pakistani and inhuman decisions by Pakistani current setup or any other government with regards to Afghan refugees. Uh, thank you for wait, watching New Wave Global, Khuda Office.